0: are you tired of being sheep well so is he get a friend
1: get informed and get involved it's we are not cattle radio
2: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts. With me as a, as a guest for about the first half hour, uh, Daryl Young. Daryl, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. You there? I think we're having Thank trouble. Thank you for having me, brother. Oh, there we are. There we go, man. Sorry, it's just um, sometimes I get a little delay here, but uh, hey, thanks for joining us, man. As you guys probably know, the podcast is going to be centered today. Um, I thought it was actually going to be centered around this war, but we've got so many things going on. And at the end of the podcast, in about the last 35 minutes, I'm going to air the interview I did yesterday with Adam Kokesh. So, um, Daryl actually works over there with Adam. So, Daryl, what's the status update, man? Are you guys getting bombarded or what? I know you only got a half hour with me, so that means that you got a lot of extra work to do, huh?
3: Yeah, man. It's been real busy, you know, ever since his release. it has been nonstop interviews with him and still continuing our work and our podcast and our production. Mm-hmm. It's just been nonstop.
2: That's awesome, man. Well, you guys keep fighting the good fight. It's like I told him, man. You, you guys keep fighting because we're pushing back, too, and everybody needs to push back and um a couple of the um I've got a couple of audio clips here, and one of the the first one I wanted to um i wanted to play is a little bit um is a little bit down the list, so I'm gonna have to wait it's it's a pretty long clip it's like thirteen minutes but uh let's start out with some uh with some news and we'll start out and we'll kind of ease into this stuff because um as you guys may have remembered a couple of podcasts ago, I did a podcast on the police state. And yet again, the police state has reared its loving head down in the state of Florida. And this comes from RT from Russia Today, uh, care of Reuters. And this is great. And Daryl, I'll have you comment on this because this will absolutely make you go bonkers, too. School scans students' irises without permission. And it goes on to say parents of Polk County, Florida are outraged about learning how the area schools have been have used the iris scans as part of a new security program without obtaining proper permission. Remember these are government slave facilities, so they don't really have to train you know, they don't have to get your permission to go ahead and teach your kid how to be a slave. So students at these three facilities, an elementary school, a grad school and a high school a grade school and a high school had their eyeball scanners early this month as part of a "quote unquote" student safety plot program carried out by Stanley Covert Security Convergence Security Solutions, and he goes on to say. It simply takes a picture of the iris, which is unique to every individual. Rob Davis, the school board's senior director of support services, wrote home to the parents in a letter dated May 23rd. With this program, we will be able to identify when when and where a student gets on the bus, when they arrive at school location, when that bus and, and what bus the student boards and disembarks on in the afternoon. This is an effort to further enhance the safety of our students. The iSwipe Nano is an ideal replacement for the card-based system since the kids don't have have to be responsible for carrying an identification card. And the article goes on and on and on, and I won't bore you guys with the details. It's a little bit longer. But the parents are a little bit upset. So, Daryl. What are your thoughts on this, man? What do you what do you think about your kids going to a school where they're just gonna get retina scanned and it's just and they always sell tyranny as something oh it's just easy. Look at how easy this is. It's just so much easier. You're not gonna have to worry about anything. We're just gonna retina scan your kids. It's not in nineteen eighty four or anything like that. It's not in the Ministry of Truth. But we're just gonna we're gonna use this technology because, you know, it makes it easier for the for the kids and then the parents can know where the kids are. What do you think, man?
3: What I don't understand is how is this really going to protect the children and how is this going to benefit the people on them just keeping a track on how many kids or I guess attended that day in school by did this scan. What's next the the RFID chip? Like come on.
2: Oh oh just, oh, there's stopped. another article about I mean, they tried that stuff over in Texas and I've got another article right here that I can pull up. But yeah, you're exactly right, man. They're going to just start doing microchips. And then I've got more more Big Brother stuff from Wired magazine. But I want to continue with this article a little bit because I didn't get to, you know, to let the parents have their say. And it says parents at Daniel Jenkins Academy, the um, Defune Academy, and the Davenport School of the Arts received a letter from the school board on 24th, informing them that the, that the iSwipe Nano program and their child's principal should be notified if they don't want their son or daughter to participate. Now, this was on May 24th, after they had already, you know, sent a letter home on the 23rd. But elsewhere in the letter, the board explained that the program would last would begin last Monday, the 20th. By that time the letter was received on Friday, Iris scans had already been completed in three areas of the school without a single student opting out. Angela Clark wrote to the examiner this week. Because Memorial Day landed on the 27th, parents were unable to receive confirmation from the school until Tuesday, nearly one week after the scans began. Oh, are you trying to tell me that government pulled some kind of boondoggle to implement something and then try to backhand way in there and say, well, we, we told you that we were doing this. Does this sound... Familiar to anybody like what the FBI Deputy Director of Anti- uh, Counterterrorism said on um, on CNN? Let me see if I can find that. And then, Daryl, I want you to elaborate on this because you're exactly right. Here is, here is what the Deputy Director of Anti-Terrorism said uh, about two weeks ago when they were trying to find um, one of the suspected terrorist bombers' uh, girlfriends.
3: Okay, let's turn our attention now to the phone call between Catherine Russell and her husband, Tamalyn Sarnayev. You said something very interesting on Aaron Burnett's show last night. You said that if Catherine Russell does not divulge the contents of this phone call, that the FBI had other methods finding out what was said. What did you mean by that?
4: Well... On the national security uh, side of the House, in the the federal government, you know, we have assets. There's lots of assets at our disposal Mm -hmm. throughout the intelligence community, and also not just domestically but overseas. Those assets uh, allow us to gain information and intelligence Mm
5: -hmm. on
4: things that we can't use ordinarily in a criminal investigation but are used for major terrorism investigations or or counterintelligence investigations. And
3: you're not talking about a voicemail, right? What are you talking about exactly?
4: I'm talking about all digital communications are, are um, recorded. There, there's a way to, to look at digital communications in the past, um, oh. and I can't go into detail of how that's done or what's done. What but did. I can tell you that no digital communication is secure, and so oh. these communications will be found out. They will, the conversation will be known, mm-hmm. and it's just a question of whether or not Catherine Russell decides to own up to what was said prior to that information being known or after the fact, and if it's, it'll be.
2: Hey, never mind that we're breaking a bunch of laws, you know, never mind that we're spying on everybody, we're, you know, in the under the blanket of national security, you know, what's going to be national security? So, Darrell, what do you think about this? I mean, now we have kids getting retina scanned. And you just heard the FBI de- Deputy Director of Counterterrorism say that, well, we've got all these digital records. So basically it's like, oh, we're going to indoctrinate all your kids first and then let you know that we've already scanned their irises and everything, and they're already in a probably an NSA database. So enjoy. What do you think, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for them to catch a terrorist for the first time. No, no, no. That's the TSA's <laughs> job because if they look in your crack of your pants, then they're going to find Osama bin Laden or al-Qaeda that we fund over in Syria. And that was one of the uh, the big audio clips I wanted to get to is the uh, the Ben Swan thing that he did about um, – god, I think it was like uh, almost three months ago where he talked about how yeah, – yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I was saying this is definitely a waste of taxpayer money. Like we could be spending this money elsewhere to something that could benefit the people. I don't know how this is going to stop us. But, the
2: there's don't, we'll don't you want to protect terrorists. the kids? Don't you want to protect the kids? I mean, forget putting an armed security guard at each school. Why don't we just have complete lockdown, and if you don't have a retina scan that's quote-unquote approved, you don't get to go to school.
3: That's how it works. you got to get vaccinations or else your kid can't get registered, or so they say.
2: Yeah, this is absolutely getting ridiculous. And then this kind of piggybacks on top of another article that I found that was absolutely astonishing to me. And as if, as if, you know, corporations don't stick it to us enough. Here is what Wired Magazine, when did this come out? This is a Wired Magazine, and it looks like that this was dated um, today. So it says um, Big Brother is not a management technique, is the, is the title of the article. And it says some employers are taking advantage of new technologies to keep a closer and closer eye on their employees. You know, they need to just call them what they are, just paid wage slaves. You're just a wage slave. Enjoy it. And they're watching network traffic, reading emails, and recording com- uh, recording computer screens. As it likened to Big Brother. But even worse, it's not just the IT guys looking at the computer usage. Here's where it gets fun, Daryl. You'll love this. Tesco is hot water for putting electronic armbands on their employees to track everything from how fast they move to how long they spend in the bathroom. Invasive? That's nothing. Professional athletes are being wired up with heart rate monitors and GPS tracking devices to see – how much the effort they give off in games and practices. Employers have even hooked up to implanting their or looked into implanting their workers with RFID chips in order to see what they're up to. California went so far as to pass a law to protect workers from implanted tracking devices. While many people wonder what the ethics are behind such detailed tracking or technology, an important question is kind of of invasive monitor is even efficient. After all. What can can a manager really learn about an employee from their Facebook page? In the end, invasive monitoring solutions tend to fail for three reasons. Number one, they give too much of the wrong information. Managers don't have time to sit through all the hours of screen recordings and data logs. They're too busy trying to understand what's really happening on the screen records. And most of the data gathered is only going to be useful if you're already building the case to fire an employee. Number two, they don't provide information that helps the employees per food, per improve. Reading other people's personal emails won't get managers any idea of how to coach them and their team. Knowing, this is some, uh, knowing that someone went to Facebook on the company computer doesn't mean anything if they were on break. If it looks like somebody was working slow, that might be because they're working on a tough project. If the job on the manager is to keep the people to do better, massive data gathering won't help. And number three employees get the get the message being sent. Invasive tracking is a great way to tell employees that you don't trust them and that you're not on their side and that you're looking for a reason to push them. Good workers will take this message and they will take it and will take this message that they're in the wrong job and bad workers will take it as they're accusing me to regain the system. Instead of taking the role as big brother managers Managers need to to take note of being a good manager. Instead of managing the metrics and hammering outliers, they should take the role as a personal trainer who wants everybody to do their best. From what some degree some, from what from that, some degree of observation is needed. No one should complain about their manager watching them or how long they work on a goal and of of watching and how to understand how they work and challenge themselves from having. The only thing only from this can managers actually help their employees improve. So it is a really big conundrum that you run into because I, Daryl, as you know, I was in corporate America for a long time, and I started seeing stuff like this where you would have employees that were literally done with their day, and they were just looking to, you know, kind of blow off some steam. They wanted to go look at, uh, let's say, Drudge Report or something like that. But they were actually intimidated because they're like, well, what if I go to a site that's blocked, or what if I go to a site – that they're going to go through and track all my cookies. So it really does put the it's kind of like taking the fear that most people have on the internet about posting things on Facebook and then applying that to their workforce and it's just going to make them tentative workers and it's just like what the man said, you know, it's um Daniel Evan, Evan Ethan Vaughn, Ethan Vaughn. All right, whatever, man. You got an in, in, incredibly <laughs> tough name to pronounce. But Daniel's right on target here with this. It just makes it – it sets up for a bad working environment. How would you feel if Adam was able to screen and lock all your cookies and and see what you were going to all the time and says, Daryl, I know you're working on that video for me for the last four days, but I saw here for seven minutes that you were you know, messing around on Twitter, and I'm going to have to dock your pay.
3: Damn. People's already calling him a fucking narc and fed, like – that will just confirm like he's watching over me. Like no, yeah, no, exactly. No, no. <laughs>
2: now see, that's one of the, that. Well, that was one of the rumors that I didn't get to the, to um dispel with him the other day. But I, you know, I know you working through Adam, and I've um I've spent some time with him, you know, just in interviews and and kind of chatting, and there is there is no way that that was a Fed setup. Now there was some issue going around whether that was that um, somebody tried to plant something on him. But I think that that's a moot point at this point anyway. You know, the event's yeah. already done. The transaction's already taken place. He's already served his time. Now he's out. So let's move on to bigger and better things. Let's move on to stuff like going to war. Doesn't that sound like fun? Doesn't that yeah, sound like fun going to war? That's what America needs. Hey, hey liquor stores, get ready because your sales might go through the roof. You guys and your pizza delivery people might have some spikes here because it looks like That um, the radical Muslims that we're funding, the radical Muslim insurgents that we're funding, are are getting ready to go over to Syria, and then now Assad is not liking the fact that they're just bombing his country for no reason. So he got some missiles from Russia. So here is – I've actually got a clip here. This is a 10-minute clip, so Daryl, this will give you time to – to relax for a second and gather your thoughts, and he'll also give me a time to relax and gather my thoughts, and I might not play the whole 10-minute clip, but this is a clip from from Rand Paul trying to understand that we were actually going to fund the al-Qaeda allies. So here is the clip from C-SPAN. Enjoy, everyone.
6: Does any other member
2: have an amendment to call up?
6: Senator Paul.
7: Mr. Chairman, our uh, nation is weary of war. We've been at war for over a decade in uh, two main countries, Afghanistan and Iraq. I don't think we're eager to get into another war. I talk to our young men and women who have volunteered to fight in war. I think uh, it's not a good idea to get involved in Syria. I think it's a very murky um, war with so many different factions. It's hard to know who are our friends, who aren't our friends, who you should arm, who you shouldn't arm. I don't think anybody can sit here in Washington and say, well, I'm confident these weapons are only going to good, you know, liberty-loving, Jeffersonian, you know, type of Democrats in, in Syria, and that bad people aren't going to get these weapons. So I'm very concerned about uh, giving weapons. I think also, when you think about the amendment that I'm offering, the First Amendment, it clarifies that the 2001 use of authorization of force does not authorize intervention in Syria this is stating another way what we are already stating in the bill that this is not a use of authorization of force but it goes to the heart of the debate we're going to have that Senator Corker has talked about having about the definition of the original use of authorization of force in Afghanistan that's come to mean anything and I think it's important that we state explicitly what we think it means there is a great irony here in the sense that if you wanted to believe in an expansive definition of the 2001 use of authorization of force. It says go after Al-Qaeda and Associated Forces. Well, Al-Qaeda and Associated Forces are opposing Assad, so if you want to believe in an expansive definition of the 2001 AUMF, you might believe that you could actually support Assad with arms, that the original use of authorization of force actually would justify giving arms to Assad. I'm not proposing that. But I am proposing that you will be giving arms to the side that is fighting against Assad that has elements of al-Qaeda. There is a great irony there. I am also saying that in your rush to get involved in Syria, that you may well be arming Islamic rebels who will be shooting Christians. There's about somewhere between a million and two million Christians in Syria. They have been largely protected by Assad. I'm once again not saying Assad's a good guy but I'm saying that they've been a protected minority by Assad for decades because he's a minority and it's been, it's been practical for him. They haven't taken a large position in the war, they're in the middle of this, but they tend to live in areas and have been protected by the Assad regime. When push comes to shove, I think there'll be a great irony and tragedy and sadness if you sent arms with U.S. taxpayer money to kill Christians. I think it could happen. I think it's impossible to know who our friends are. Look at how much trouble we have in Afghanistan. We have an ally that we've had for 10 years, and we, can't, we don't know who to trust in the Afghan army.
2: You nope. know, We've
7: had probably nearly 100 deaths from Afghan soldiers. They lie. Most of them on opium. They come in and say they're our ally, and they take a pledge to support us, and we turn the other way, and they shoot us. And Syria's a much messier situation, maybe 100 times messier than Afghanistan is. I know everybody here wants to do the right thing, but I think it's a rush to war. Now, people will say, oh, you're not putting troops on the ground. Well, we are going to have capacity building. There is no limitation in this bill on where those troops can do capacity building. I'm assuming it's going to be more in Jordan and other places. There's no limitation here that the troops, U.S. troops, can't be on the ground in Syria. So this resolution could be arming rebels who, even the Joint Chief of Staff, have said it's unclear and it's increasingly unclear who our friends are, and it's increasingly difficult to determine who our friends are. He says, in the last six months, it's become harder to determine who our friends are. This is the Joint Chief of Staff, who I would think Get would be guns. privy to a lot of information and whose opinion and weight should be should be listened to carefully. So I'm very concerned about arming the rebels. I'm concerned about getting more involved. I'm a, a concerned about the slippery slope into war. War doesn't always start.
2: All right, I had to cut that off. All right, so um, I've got a bunch of guys that just popped onto the podcast. Daryl, are you there still? Still here, brother. All right, so you know what? This is what I got for Rand Paul. Let us never
4: tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories.
2: Rand Paul, are you trying to tell me that we would fund the terrorists? That is just complete and utter. Let us never
4: tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories.
2: I mean, come on, man. We don't. Fund the ter- wait a minute, we did we we funded the terrorists one 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 two three we funded them a couple times, but this one's different, Daryl. <laughs> this Double. one, this one, this one's different. This is completely different. We know who the well we don't know who the bad guys. Okay, we know who the aren't no. So I got a couple of other guys on here, Daryl. I want to get your take on the whole Syria thing. And then I'm gonna pull up the um, I'm gonna pull up my guys from Journalistic Revolution, and I've also got one of my buddies from Florida. I want to see if I can get his take on it too. So, well, what's your take on this regime, man? I mean, we're just gonna. Hey, how about this? Why don't we get? Hey, we'll give guns to everybody in the in the Eastern world. We'll give guns to everybody all over Syria, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. We'll give them all guns, but we're gonna take the guns from the American people. Are they gonna like give them our guns? Is that what's gonna happen?
3: Yeah, they're they're waiting for the rally so they can confiscate our guns to give it to the, to the to their allies and friends.
2: <laughs> so they can make so they can so they can make billions of dollars killing Christians and spreading democracy. What a yeah. joke! All right, here only you go. Only concerned go about the Christians. Progress. I love that. Say what now?
3: is said only concerned about the Christians. They're not, not they're not concerned about killing Islamic babies see, with, with spy drones.
2: No, no, no. See, that's the thing, man. That is the, that's such the thing. But see, Rand Paul. And I know that everybody has their their quips about Rand Paul, and I know that he plays he plays a lot of baseball. He does. He plays a lot of softball in there with these guys. But the way that I see it, you gotta play some politics, otherwise we're never gonna get out of this you know right left paradigm because the masses just can't haven't figured it out yet. So the only way that you're gonna get a true Libertarian movement is get somebody like Rand Paul, who's kind of like libertarian light, but a little bit of a neocon in the same sense. And the <laughs> fact that I, I, I understand what his stance is on drones, I get that. But I also think that that's the slippery slope, too. So here, I, I don't know who I have here. I'm going to pull this guy up. Hold on one second, Daryl. So it's pulling up. Who do I have here? Do I have Robert or Matthew from the Journalistic Revolution?
1: You have Robert, sir.
2: Oh, excellent. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull up my other guy here, too. All right. Let me see if I can pull him up. Andrew, do we have you down in Florida? Andrew Johnson, tech guy, A1A tech guy, do we have you? Oh, it doesn't look like he's got his microphone hooked up. Hook your microphone up, Andrew, if you want to be a part of the show. But, Robert, what are your what are your thoughts on this, man?
1: Well, I just kind of uh, caught the tail end of that. And and, I, and what I was hearing is Brandon Paul's concerned about uh, us getting involved in the Syrian war—is that right?
2: Well, it's not so much getting involved. He's worrying about us, you know, signing bills to help fund the radical jihadis who are who are elements of Al Qaeda and who have How the hell is Al-Qaeda. not
1: getting involved? Huh? <laughs> I said, how is that not getting involved?
2: No, no, no. He said but he 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 is trying to keep us from getting involved with these people because it's it's very clear when they made that declaration about how they were going to go about um, distributing arms and stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they made it clear that they weren't going to fund any elements of Al-Qaeda and that Al-Qaeda and the Taliban were the enemy. But yet what he points out is that we're actually giving arms and funds and food to the Al-Qaeda rebels over in Syria to try to topple Assad, who has not attacked anyone. And that's the whole catch, is that Guys, if you can get this through your head, you you will open up to the entire paradigm of why government is just a monopoly of force. Syria has attacked no one, has attacked nobody, has attacked their own people, has not attacked anybody. And these groups that are over there – and wait till I play this next clip. I actually should go to this right now because it really does encapsulate everything that we're talking about. But, I mean, that's what he's talking about. It's just – we're we're literally funding al-qaeda in this nation and then we've got to give up our rights here in america and go through the tsa naked body scanners and get groped at the airport because of al-qaeda i mean it is absolutely retarded and then you you go and look at people like mark dice that goes out and does a man on the street and asks people you know what is memorial day about and the guy goes dude i don't care i just know i don't got to go to work and i just kick it i just I just kick it, bro. I just kick it. I'm like, Dude, for real? For real? Well, your this is how – bankrupt Your country is getting bankrupt. You're, you're, you are, we're killing people, innocent people all over the world, stamping our flag that's got your freaking name and face on it, and you don't care. You just want, I just want to kick it. You disgrace me, you sheep. I'm well, sorry. Go ahead, I guys. Feel... All right, Robert, oh, go no, ahead. No, Take the no.
1: a... Well, this is how I feel about other countries' civil wars and revolutions, Okay. Um, I, I think and, and maybe, you know, you can call me an elitist scumbag if you want. I I'm think call that you a when, state,
2: that's even worse.
1: <laughs> have you seen our new video? You'll love it. Yeah, but, you know, I'll,
2: I'll let you I'll let you promote that at the end. That was really good.
1: Thanks. But uh it it, it um this is how I see it. You, there has to be some sort of proving period. There has to be some length of time because I am all in support of revolutions and and movements towards freedom and liberty so if you know we're going to support what what they're trying to say we are supporting when we're supporting rebels but of course we all know that's crap but mm-hmm. i i am for revolutions and move, movements towards liberty but there has to be a proving period like american revolution we didn't immediately get backing from france and debate was like oh yeah here's our name you know what i mean we Didn't immediately get the help i'm not saying that the American Revolution actually ended in absolute liberty, but it ended us mm-hmm. closer to it, and, um, and 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 we had a proving period, a period where we had to hold our own against the crown,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know. And and we're not seeing that. We're immediately jumping on these. Um,
2: Dude, Halliburton's got to get their two billion off of their tarps. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, so. <laughs> I understand you gotta have the proving period. We gotta see if it's a real bona fide revolution, not like what happened over in Egypt where Google like fomented that revolution and then we go over there and put them you know, kick out a dictator who was like a soft dictator and then put the Muslim Brotherhood in and go, Here's your democracy later, guys. Oh, by the way, go chop a bunch of people's heads off. Take it easy. The, it's, the
1: hilarious thing about that, and that's because I'm all trying to find humor in the worst situations. The mm-hmm. the funniest thing about that was when Bush said that um, that they would support, and this was when Hamas came into power. I'm sorry, a different time, but he, he, they would support any democratic act- actions in the Middle East, and they democratically elected Hamas. <laughs> wow!
5: <laughs>
2: all right, so um, so you know, I got your two cents, Daryl. What do you what do you make of all this? What do you make of of us funding the terrorists, and then the terrorists saying to us, "Say, hey, look, you guys need to stop this." And I've got an article that I'll read here in a minute. Where they were, where Assad's talking about, listen, you know, the West is going to get in trouble for funding these al-Qaeda terrorists, and people are going to find out, and they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So what do you think, Jake
3: Well, for starters, you know, we originally wanted to go into Syria, and, you know, China and Russia stepped in the way and said, hey, if you attack mm-hmm. Syria, we're going to have issues with you. Then they, they decide they're going to go into Libya and Egypt. Then all of a sudden, you know, Israel attacks Syria because they're so-called killing their people with, with chemical weapons, but we're the ones funding the terrorists over and over, over again like, We're pointing the fingers at the wrong people When we need to look right at home and, and point out the real criminals Our politicians
2: It's so sick man It is really sick And then when you hear people Everybody if you're listening to this podcast for the first time We are actually not collectively insane We are just repeating Things that are public knowledge These are all public knowledge Scenarios this is not something that we're fabricating this is you know this is not like what our you know what our what our boy says this isn't like what he Let says. us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories it's not a conspiracy theory these are all documented truths but the fact of the matter is is that we're not the type of people that will watch you know a country you know watch us go to war with Syria and then do this <laughs> That is not who we are. We are not going to get out there and cheerlead for a bunch of criminals trying to make money off of murdering people. It's just done. We're done with it. We're tired of it. That's why this whole revolution started with Ron Paul and the non-interventionists and and just being different and being diplomatic and how you approach nations and don't give nations just every year go well israel we cut you a check for 47 billion last year we'll cut you a check for 47 billion this year oh okay that sounds good where are you guys getting this money from i don't know the fed will make it up out of something and then they'll take 85 billion of your tax dollars and go send it to offshore banks everything's fine everything's completely fine So here, let me play this clip from Ben Swan, and this was about three months ago. And guys, hang on, because this is a little bit of a long one. It's about 13 minutes. I'll probably cut it short. But he really touches on all the high notes. And I know that I'm harping on this stuff, but guys, war is a big deal, especially when your government's funding the insurgents and then then saying that the insurgents are the good guys. Really creepy, really, really creepy stuff. So here's a clip. Guys, I'm going to mute you for a minute, and then I'll pull you back up after this.
8: I'm Ben Swan and thank you so much for watching this edition of Full Disclosure. I'm really glad that you're watching because today we're talking about a very important story, one that has global significance, and yet it's not being told at all in the West. Western media has all but ignored this issue. We're talking today about the two-year-long civil war that's taking place in Syria. Now, if you listen to Western media and you listen to our government, then you would believe the people of Syria have been rising up to free themselves from the tyrannical grip of their president Bashar al-Assad. And yet is that the true story? Today we're talking with a man who lives in Syria, in fact he lives in Damascus. We did this interview via Skype. His name is Emilio Ibrahim. Now what we do know for a fact is that the U.S. has been providing financial assistance to the rebels in Syria. The State Department admits that readily. We know that the Saudis, that Turkey, and that Qatar are also funding those rebels and providing them with weapons. But the part of the story that Mr. Ibrahim says that you may not know is that these Syrian rebels aren't Syrian at all. They're foreign professional terrorists who are affiliated with Al-Qaeda. They've moved into Syria, but he says they're gangs of terrorists who are terrorizing the country. At the end of the day, this interview was not designed to try to control or shape how you view what the United States is doing in Syria, but rather to open your eyes to some of the realities that Mr. Ibrahim says the rest of the Western media simply won't tell you about.
2: That's why we call this
8: Full Disclosure. situation is like there right now and what what are you all seeing what are you living through essentially this this civil war that's been going on there has been going on for some time and would you even classify it as a true civil war
0: Uh, we are suffering from terrorism uh, since uh, two years from now and we are suffering from uh, the 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 lying media Uh, everybody from uh, the Western uh, countries my friends, they are always uh, talking about the revolution in Syria. Uh, and then uh, I will take their information and tell them that this is not a revolution, this is a... we are having war in Syria. Uh, sometimes they don't believe me, because uh, they've been brainwashed uh, for two years now in the media channel.
8: When you say it, it's not a true revolution, it is a war, but it's not a revolution, are you... Are you talking about specifically groups like al-Qaeda who are really um, trying to take over the government of Syria at this point, as we have seen them do in Libya, as we have seen them do uh, in other countries as well? Essentially, is it al-Qaeda fighters who are attempting to take over the government in Syria? Is that correct, Correct.
0: Yes, correct. Absolutely true.
8: So that when you say that the media has been lying about this, are you specifically talking about the claims that this is... a uh, a grassroots revolution, if you will, the people rising up to overthrow a dictator. Is that essentially the
4: lie that you're referring to?
0: They are lying that uh, there, there is a revolution, uh, the, the people in Syria uh, protesting against uh, the government. But, but this is not true, not, uh, not true at all. Uh, the revolution cannot be uh, with funding uh, weapons and, and a lot of money like we are seeing here. revolution is not uh, beheading people and cutting their part of their body. Uh, The revolution, you know, uh, gangs in Syria and terrorists, they have targeted many uh, innocent people.
4: For for
8: people here in the United States and people in the West, um, we hear all the time that uh, President Assad is a a tyrant, he's a dictator, he's cruel, um, that the people in Syria despise him, they want him gone, they they want to see him uh, removed from power. Is there truth to some of that? Is he a a strong leader? Is he a cruel leader? Uh, Is he unwanted by the people? Is there truth somewhere in that narrative that we've heard in the West for two years?
0: There are many uh, people went to every circle in Syria, in every city, for almost like one year and three months. Uh, every Thursday and Friday, they protest uh, against terrorists and holding the, the, the Syrian flag and holding the pictures of the president to support him, to support the Syrian Arab army. Millions millions of people. And I can send you many videos that, that I captured in my own camera. Uh, millions of people, there are supporting our army against terrorism. But, but, but as I said uh, before, you can't see this. Uh, your media channel, not, not yours, but you know, the Western media channel, they are showing what they want the people to think, not the truth. They own people the truth. They have to tell people the truth. They have to, to stop uh, shutting down our media channels. So all the people here are supporting the government more than ever. Uh, let me talk about myself. I have never uh, support our government like I am supporting today. Two years ago, all my friends, uh, you know, they, they, they were all shocked by seeing me talking about the mistakes of our government and we need to change you know many things but right now I'm supporting my government so much more than ever you know I will support my government against any uh, forging gang against any forging country I'm not gonna uh, stand with the, with the U.S. government against my government. I'm not going to stand with the Israeli government against my government. I'm not going to stand with Saudi Arabia government. I'm not going to stand with Qatar government against my government. Those countries, they have never, ever wanted uh, the right thing to the Syrians. How come they want the right things to Syrians right now?
8: Uh, for people in the West, I think there's almost zero concept of this at all, but in Syria, up until two years ago, Christians and Muslims coexisted, they lived at peace together, Uh, there wasn't this um, persecution of, as you're saying, alloys and and other religious groups, and today in Syria, that is not the case. Today in Syria, if you are anything other than, are you saying a Sunni Muslim, other than a Sunni, you are under uh, intense persecution, is that correct?
0: If you are Sunni, not close-minded, like them, if you don't have the, the same purpose, they, they want the same target. So you are, even if you were Sunni, you are targeted too, like Christians, like uh, Shiites, like, uh, like all the rest of the religion.
8: Up until two years ago, you had never been asked what your religion was before. And you said, but today, that's very different.
0: Many people have been, uh, been asking me over and over, what, 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 what is your religion? Because in their point of view, if you were you a know, Christian, so that means you support the government. If you were Alawi, that means you support the government. If you were Shia, that means you support the government. But if you were Sunni, you know, it depends. Maybe you support the government and maybe not. For two years, uh, uh, many people have asked me what my religion is. I have lived all my life in Syria and nobody asked me ever what my religion is. But now religion matters to some people.
8: You said that it defines, in many cases, which side of this so-called war you are on.
0: The the small religions in Syria, like Christians, Catholic, Orthodox, and and the rest, the small religions in Syria, like Christians, Druze, uh, Shia, they are small here. They are all, all supporting the government in everything. And I have many Sunnis friends. They are supporting the government as well. But very few, very few Sunnis, Sunnis and some Christians, like uh, very small groups, they are against the government. But at, at the same time, they are against this revolution. They want to make their revolution on your, on their own, you know, the real revolution.
8: They want a true revolution. Right, they want a true revolution there. You said that there, there are beheadings that if you are an alloy and you're caught, you, they, will, they will behead you and then they will rape you afterward. You said that you'll die in the most brutal way.
0: I remember the story. They, they went to an alloy uh, guy and they raped him and they cut his arms and legs.
8: So when you contacted me, Emilio, you, you said... I want to tell this story about what's really happening in Syria. Because what you're seeing through, especially Western media, um, you say is not the truth. Why do you think Western media is not sharing the truth, at least the side of the story that you're sharing? I mean, maybe you can make the argument that, well, you're biased, and this is your view. But it seems like your view isn't even being given, not just equal time, but any time in Western media. Why is that?
0: The Western countries, you know, they they show off. They have freedom. They have freedom of speech. You know the whole media. We do, we do? Uh, not the whole media. Very few media like like your program, uh, Ben. And and some other few. They are not being controlled of the government uh, You know. So the majority of the media, the Western media, they are being controlled of the government of their government So. Uh, you know you know the u s government wants want to change the regime in Syria, so they will begin this uh in a war in media and then by funding terrorists and then funding them and then sending more professional terrorists trained terrorists I mean yes,
2: sir. all right, I had to shut that off. that was getting a little long, but Robert, I got you pulled up, and I think, um, I think I got my other friend down in Florida pulled up. Robert, what do you make of that clip? I mean this is stuff that we've already known, but I like making stuff public like this, especially on the broadcast, because then people can share it with others and say, no, listen, like, we're really funding this whole rebellion over there. This is not a pure natural revolution like you said that you would support. So I mean what do you make of all this?
1: Uh, okay so who was this guy again real quick he was
2: uh, the interviewer was um, the interviewer was Ben Swan and do and the, and the guy I'll have to get his bio and stuff but he is just a um, I think he's just a local just a local Shiite you know obviously wait is that what hold on a second he is a local I'm assuming he's going to be a Shiite because you know he was a Sunni. He'd be all right because he'd be over there fighting with Al Qaeda. But he's Shiite. So I mean, what, what do you make of all of this? As far as actually, let me read this. I'm sorry. I kind of uh, here. Let me get your thought first, and I want to read you an article.
1: Okay. Um, well, if this uh, uh, if this guy is legit, what he's saying is legit. Which you know, I am going to err on the side of it legit because I know more information he was saying. But it mm-hmm. goes back to, to to what I said before about how we're not allowing proving periods be throw, before we we're throwing our hat in the ring, you know. And we're not allowing for the, these things to work themselves out in, internally before we start sticking our big nose in people's business.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, and, why and is it that we always really go after
2: these countries? Why do we always go after these countries that don't have central banks? Why why is that seem like a growing trend with the … with the spread of Western democracy all over the, the Middle East. It's like, oh, you don't have a is central bank. You need a, sir, you need a revolution is what you need. That's what you guys need. I mean the first, within two weeks of us invading of our liberation <laughs> slash bombardment of Libya, we, we set up a central bank. That was the first thing we did. So, I mean, what do you think of that?
1: Um, uh, I think that's a very astute observation. Um and it, we've seen it happening more, but I think that's how they sell it to the people to get them to revolt is because when these um uh, you know in these tribes and different groups and different sects uh, uh think about america they, the very first thing they would think is the old nineteen fifties push of economic freedom uh sure. and, and and so the way they tell it to them is all like, yeah, you know how they did that, right? Central Bank, that's what you need. Yeah, tell You your can print
2: all the money you want, and everything will be fine. Look at this.
1: And you'll be good. to go. Look.
2: Yeah, yeah so all I you'll see. do is just be, indebted, just be indebted to the World Bank, the IMF, and the Bank of International Settlements, and everything's gravy.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, you know, and I think that's why um, you see more of these types of uprisings, not only because the central banks would love to have a bank in the country – but because it's an easier sell. Mm-hmm.
2: So you know, I, I got. I think I got my friend Andrew pulled up. Andrew, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you, man. So what do you make of all this stuff? I mean, you and I talk about this quite a bit, but we talk about it in like a, a very flitting way where we actually make fun of it and just kind of you know, add a little humor to it. But what do you make of all this stuff? And, and then it looks like they're going to get really aggressive over these next two articles that I've got that basically says that uh, you know Assad's got his um, he's got his uh, anti-aircraft missiles now he's got some sam missiles surface to air missiles and he's basically telling Israel to bring it on so i mean w- what do we make of all this and why do you think that americans love war so much this country was
9: built on it man don't don't we just have like a passion for kicking the
2: crap out of people I think we do. I, I mean, you'll and it, who was it? Was it? Um, I think KRS-One said that you'll never have you'll never have peace on stolen land. But that's a that's a very you know ominous way of looking at it. But I think that we're, I
9: think we're he, the bully that makes it look legit. We just say, "Yo, we're good here, man. We're the we're the global force of peace."
2: Slow hey, down, hey, mommy. The Navy's new slogan is the global force for good. <laughs> I mean, are you serious? I mean, are you, no, you haven't seen that. No. Come on, man. You haven't seen the Navy commercial? Go pull – right, I'm going to put you on pause. Go YouTube the Navy commercial, and then at the very end it says, the U.S. Navy, a global first force for good. No kidding. Yep. Right, no kidding. Right, yep. Not a global is, force is to come in and, and – Say what?
1: This is the Navy Swiss commercial?
2: Yes. Just, just YouTube it. You'll find it. I mean, oh, how much more out right in the there. open do we have to be? I mean – are we the global government? Are we the global, you know, crime syndicate mafia? Yes, we are. I hate to tell you this. So, Andrew, you're taking. But we're doing it with on... the best
9: of intentions, you know. I mean, we're going over there. We're liberating people, man. We are hooking them up with cash, and <laughs> get rid of dictators, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love this country. What are you talking about? Uh...
2: Dude, this is why I like hanging out with you because you actually give a, just a great perspective and you can really get into the mind of the zombies and just go, "What are you talking about, man? It's just, we're, we're, we're liberating them. They got a dictator Broncos? over there. We got to get, get rid roll. of them." Like
9: Broncos are going to the Super Bowl. That's all I care about, man. What, what's Syria? True. Who is that? Are yeah. they
2: playing? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, does Syria get an NFL team? I don't care about them. Then that's just some country. Just parking lot them. Now they got Christmas there. Ah, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Uh, I I think Robert's still watching that video, but that's just the stuff that really kind of creeps me out. Here, let me read you some of this article that I pulled up. Uh, Assad warns Israel um, claiming a stockpile of Russian weapons. No, he doesn't claim a stockpile. He actually received shipment the other day. So it says – President Bashir al-Assad and this is out of the New York Times so take that for what it's worth. I mean, as long as they don't say that he's got weapons of mass destruction, then we're probably pretty good here. Um President Bashir al-Assad of Syria displayed a new defiance in television interview broadcast on Thursday, warning Israel and suggesting that any that he had a secured he had secured plenty of weapons from Russia and his opponent's father Politically, and Hezbollah fighters infuse their force into his military campaign. Assad spoke in an interview, which was owned by his ally Hezbollah, on a powerful Lebanese Shiite militant group, further, further punctuating his message of growing confidence that he would prevail in the civil war that is more than two years old and has claimed more than 80,000 lives. Way to go America. That's what I'm talking about. Where's my USA champ? It's down here somewhere. Oh, I gotta get ready. I gotta I gotta have this thing on the ready. This has gotta be moved up to the very top.
5: USA! 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 Alright,
2: good job that still, guys. That, Way to,
1: that still huh? gives me that still gives me shivers in my spine, man.
2: Doesn't that feel good to be enslaved? I mean, doesn't that feel good to have guys driving around in big armored vehicles pointing guns at people in black uniforms, and then you catch the supposed bad guy that might not have been the terrorist, that his buddy said that they were um, that the FBI was going to set him up and kill him, and his friend's like, nah, you can go in for questioning. And the FBI's like, oh, he died in questioning. We don't know what happened.
1: Yeah, you flipped a table. We were threatened.
2: <laughs> so we fucking capped him in the head. Here's my language. <laughs> good God, what a
9: joke. What a joke! Right, well, he so anyway. pulled a knife. You know, that's dangerous weapon. Oh, right that's, <laughs> that's
2: dangerous. You gotta block. Oh, now he's pulled he pulled a
1: knife. Man, they're doing the same thing again. You know, they're all like, uh, he attacked. It. He 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 got loud with it. so he flipped the table. He had a, he shot himself. He <laughs> shot himself.
2: He shot himself in custody <laughs> with contest. his handcuffs on. That's what happened. He was um, he was actually Jack Bauer in disguise, and you guys didn't know it. He pulled a gun from everybody and and took and disarmed. He was actually. Um, Jackie Chan and Chuck Norris and Jack Bauer all wrapped a one. He took all the guns apart and then shot himself. All right, so anyway. I, li- I, I, I like, live in you- a
1: free country. I have all the license and permits to prove it. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I got a license for a gun. I got a license to drive. This is total freedom. That's not complete enslavement, I promise you. All right, so anyway. Um, sorry for the F-bomb there, guys, but it's just too funny. Okay, so asked about the Russian deliveries, Assad said that Russia is committed to Syria and implementing these contracts that we agreed upon with Russia will be implemented as part of being, and part of it has been implemented over the recent period and we're continuing to implement it. Now people say, why does Russia give a flying rip about? Um, why does Russia give a flying rip about Syria? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So, Russia's naval facility in, T- in, in Tartus. Now, all you have to do is Google Russian Naval Facility in TARDIS, and you'll find that that is the last Russian naval base in the Middle East. It is the last one that they have. And so, gee, I wonder why they want to support Syria. Oh, and by the way, if the United States Empire – excuse me, United States of America takes um, Syria, we will completely surround Iran. Yippee. Global force for good. Hey, man, that's what we are. Dude, yeah. We are the global force for good. Did you ch- did You, you get the know, it video? wouldn't be
9: such a big deal if yeah, we just roll out the one world government, dude. It would just be, make things so much easier. We could streamline this. UN, no more having militaries, no more yeah, borders. And, and give all of, all of our soldiers family.
2: blue helmets. Give all of our soldiers blue helmets, and everything would be fine. I mean, then oh my God. You
1: just, you just found the selling point for anarchists for the one world government. No more borders. <laughs> you know?
5: Oh.
2: <laughs> Thank See, eventually, one of these podcasts, I'm gonna, we're gonna solve all the world's problems, and then we're just gonna have to, you know, just go and share it with everybody. But we're just doing this <laughs> one thing at a time, everybody. We're trying to figure out how to stop war in Syria, which will probably not happen because there's too, many, too much money to be made, and you know, it's just too much money to be made in war. And who was it that said that? Can can somebody Google search this for me? That war is a racket. Somebody search that for me while I'm sitting here waiting and trying to. You got me. Thanks, man. I'm gonna continue reading here. He was vague on whether Russia's deliveries had included the advanced S-300 air defense system, which this thing is balling. I was sitting there looking at it and reading it online and what it can do. It can shoot down. Uh, oh, hold on. Let me get the, uh, the specs here at the very top. This All is right. just. Well, it
1: was. It was Smedley D. Butler and oh, un- Butler. oddly enough. Yeah, oddly enough, it was from his book, War is a Racket.
2: <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder what Sedley Butler did. Hey, we want you to have a Nazi takeover here in America. Like, uh, no, look, we'll make you a dictator. Everything will be cool. Uh, I kind of feel like this is a bad idea. Nah, just go with it, man. Just go with it. Everything's good. Everything's good. You know, the Bush has funded Hitler. Everything's fine. All right, so um, let me see where it was actually talking about the capabilities of this bad boy. I can't find it off the top of my head, I'll have to find it in one of my clips. But it's uh, it's pretty ballin. Oh, here it is. The S300 is regarded as one of the most potent anti-aircraft missile systems currently fielded. Its radar has the capability to simultaneously track up to 100 targets while engaging up to 12 of them at the same time, and it can de- and the deployment time is 5 minutes. Holy cow.
9: Dude, you get that with the new Call of Duty I heard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think after you get like a certain amount of um after you kill a certain amount of jihadis on the new Call of Duty or um or um or you can kill a certain amount of al- al-Qaeda terrorists that we fund, then you get to um then you get to get the uh the S300 missile and you get to you get to blow up the entire map. It's pretty ballin'. All right, so you know I got to take a break here, guys, because we're gonna split it up for the show. So give me about um, we're gonna do about a two minute break here because I have to uh, I got to pay some bills, you know how things go. So uh, I'm gonna play. Let me find a good clip for us here. I'm gonna play how an economic hitman operates, and this will give you guys kind of a clue into what's really going on over in Syria with all the guys running in with their weapons manufacturers. And I'll also read that article or um, talk about what Steve Pachenic said when he went over to. North Korea when we had that big scandal with those guys and about how within within hours that all like the Boeing, Lockheed, all those guys were over there trying to sell them planes. Probably the same thing's going on over here because, you know, the corporations love us all so much and they have our best intentions at heart.
5: So what I did specifically was identify countries that had resources that corporations covet like oil, for example, and then arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of the other big banking organizations. But the money would never actually go to the country. Instead it would go to our own corporations to build infrastructure projects in that country, huge projects like uh, big big power plants, hydroelectric plants and transmission lines and distribution stations, and multi-industrial parks, things that would benefit a few wealthy families in those countries, as well as our own corporations that built them. It wouldn't help the majority of the people who don't have enough money to buy much electricity, can't get jobs in industrial parks, so they don't hire many people. And yet the people of the country would be left holding this huge debt that they couldn't repay. So at some point we go back in and say, hey, since you can't pay your debts, uh, essentially give us your resources, your oil, or whatever, sell to us at a very low price without any environmental or social regulations, without having to take care of the people in the country that we're, that were exploiting, or allow us to build a military base on your soil or vote with us on the next critical United Nations vote. And in a few cases where we couldn't convince presidents to take on those deals, which were really bad for their countries, uh, the jackals step in and they either overthrow governments or assassinate their leaders. and you know, I talk about my own personal experience in Ecuador with the president there, Jaime Roldos, democratically elected president. Omar Torrijos of Panama—they didn't buy into these deals. They had a lot of integrity, and both of them were—and and they wouldn't—they wouldn't listen to me. They—they they wouldn't buy my deal, and so both of them were assassinated.
7: Now, when they don't do the deal, the jackals come in. What do the jackals do?
5: Well, either overthrow the governments so that we just saw this happen in Honduras with President Zelaya about two. Uh, years ago, or they, uh, and we've seen, it of course, happen with the ending in in Chile and Arbenz in Guatemala and, and so on and so forth. Or uh, they assassinate the leaders, which we saw in my case with Jaime Roldos of, of Ecuador and Omar Torrijos of Panama. So they're either overthrown, and if they go kind of peacefully and they leave the country, like Zelaya did in Honduras, okay. If they're not going to go peacefully, then they're taken out.
2: Or we just blow them up, or they die in a plane crash, or. You know, or we send in the Al Qaeda terrorists to fight them and pose as freedom fighters. Woo!
1: Don't forget the heart attack gun that was just recently
2: declassified. Oh, you know what, man? I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to pull it on you. <laughs> Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. <laughs> I gotta pull it on you, man. You cannot listen. You cannot use Dude, logic on this show. we talk
9: to other countries and assassinate people just because they don't go along with what we say? That's crazy talk. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I don't. You know, I'm not buying that. I, I think that you are a conspiracy theorist. You know, uh, well, never mind that Harps had weather weapons and all that stuff. Never mind any of that. You know, never, never mind them shooting a bunch of you know uh, hydrogen bombs up into the into the atmosphere back in the 50s. Never mind. None of that stuff ever happened. That's complete conspiracy theory. No, just not even any validity to it. So that's it for that portion of the podcast, and we got about a a good 20 minutes here, guys. And so I thought I would bring up a topic near and dear to um, a lot of people's hearts, especially in the liberty movement, and that is um, the legalization of um, pretty much everything because if you're in the liberty movement and you believe that you are a – self-owned individual that you believe that you are responsible for yourself and that you can protect yourself and that you shouldn't be able to dictate what I can and can't put into my body and I shouldn't be able to dictate what you can and can't put into your body. Now, I do have some – I have some parameters with that. You can't go shoot up heroin and then go get behind a car. I mean I guess you can as long as you don't kill anybody technically, but – you know i do have some drawbacks to that but i also understand that much like much like war drugs is a bigger racket than than war has ever been because i mean that's how they brought down china was through the the opium wars and stuff like that you know going around buying off people but you know side issue that's history you actually have to you know read books and stuff to know that um so here is the article i want to read from you guys and i want to get both of your takes on it marijuana legalization colorado governor Um, Signs first bill in history to establish a legal, regulated pot market for adults.
5: Yay!
2: On Tuesday, Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper – no kidding. That is the dude's name. That's awesome. Signed several historical measures to implement marijuana legalization in the state, establishing Colorado as the world's first legal, regulated, and taxed marijuana market for adults. Which marijuana activist has been saying for years just legalize it, tax it, and the government will make tons of money? And then I used to argue with them saying, no, 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 you don't understand. The government ships the drugs in and they want them to be illegal so they can jack the price up and make huge profits on it and then put us all into private prisons and make money doing that too. But then again, you know, that would make me a, um, you know, one of these. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Once again, reading books and understanding how the world works is a conspiracy theory. Crazy okay, talk. so it is complete craziness. Hickenlooper was a vocal opponent of marijuana legalization, who said Colorado is known for many great things, and marijuana should not have been one of them. Signed the first bill, first of the bills in history, to establish legal marijuana market, as well as starting the development of a regulatory framework for cultivation, distribution, and production of industrial hemp. Oh my god, this guy is a terrorist. Somebody needs to go arrest this guy. This is craziness. Recreational – and this is a quote – recreational marijuana rarely, is, really is in new territory, said um, Higgin Looper after signing on Tuesday. And although the governor has expressed opposition to marijuana legalization in the past, today he calls the bills quote-unquote common sense. Whoa! Dude, he's a thought criminal. This is complete thought crime right here. Jack Flouhan, Hick and Looper's chief legal counsel, said, although we're opposed to marijuana legalization, quote, "The will of the voters needs to be implemented. Oh my God, this is absolutely ridiculous I'm going to get both of your takes on this because this is like this is like I live in a in a um what do you what do you call those things where you elect people? And then they do what they you, – you tell them to do um, – oh, a republic. I'm um, sorry. Um, so we applaud Governor Hinkenlooper for the initiative that he was taking to ensure the world's first legal marijuana market for adults will entail a robust and comprehensive regulatory system. That's awesome. These markets and other major milestones in the process of making a much-needed transition from failed policy of marijuana prohibition to a more sensible system of regulation. And it goes on. So – Gentlemen, what do you think of the Uber thought criminal, um, Governor Hickenlooper? I'll go to Robert first. What do you think, Robert?
1: I think it's a Trojan horse. I, I think that the major. Elaborate, please. I, I don't know. I uh, don't know
2: how educated our audience is. Can you please explain what a Trojan horse is?
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the Trojan or, or what was it the. Was it the Trojans? They did it to the Trojans, not the not the Trojans doing it to someone else. But they built a big wooden horse, put a bunch of people in it, and said it was a gift, right? And mm-hmm. and, and they took it in. Soldiers came after out. After they couldn't
2: after they couldn't after they couldn't breach the walls, they decided that they were going to offer a quote unquote peace offering. I think is what mm-hmm. it was in, entailed. But in, in essence, it was a big setup. And then um, in the middle of the night, they brought the Trojan horse in the guys jumped out and with um and this is actually one of the craziest battles you'll ever read about and they talk about how they indiscriminately went around killing everybody that they saw and i believe that that was in constantinople but i could be wrong I'll double check go ahead
1: okay but um that's what i i the the word that i heard the most in that well what what you were reading was the word regulation um, and that scares me when politicians start talking about regulating something because that usually ends up destroying exactly. a, a free market for it. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be this great thing for a while as a bunch of small businesses pop up trying to take over their little area for what they do and what they offer. But through those same regulations, you're going to see a crony capitalistic uh, <laughs> movement inside large corporations eventually bring it to what cigarettes are today.
9: Funnel it right to the top.
2: <laughs> okay, so Andrew, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? You kind of shared
9: the same I, thing. I got about?
2: a
1: problem
9: asking government, period, to allow me to put something into my body, which when I do, causes no harm to myself or anyone around me. More In fact, more so than any state approved drug on the market. Hmm. That's the problem I got with it.
2: I hear you. We shouldn't have and to ask permission. Trojan horse was the city of Troy. I don't know why we all kind of blanked on that one. But it was yeah, to go well, get um, it was to go get Helen. Was it Helen of Troy? Is that one? I don't know. Anyway, I'll have to reread that That's self-medicating. But no, uh, no you <laughs> can't be a, you can't be a thought criminal, man. Okay, so you know right. Piggybacking on top of that, how about this? If you as you, know, as you talk about mass marketing. Ex-Microsoft manager plans to create first U.S. marijuana brand. Oh, exciting. A former Microsoft executive plans to create the first U.S. national marijuana brand with cannabis, and he hopes to eventually import legally from Mexico that he said would be kicking off his business by acquiring medical pot dispensaries in three U.S. states. John, can I get some people with some decent names today? Jamin Chiavely... A former Microsoft corporate strategy maker said that he envisions that Seattle-based enterprise becoming a leader in both recreational and medical cannabis, much like a Starbucks of the dominant name of coffee. He said, "Now this is an entrepreneur right here, but you know I think that um, I think that this is going right down the path that Robert doesn't want it to go, where it's going to go through the the usual path that we all resist of coercion and using government to shut down your competition." Shavery, 45, whose six years at Microsoft ended in 2009, said he was soliciting investors for $10 million in startup money. The use, sale, in possession of marijuana remains illegal in the United States under federal law. Yeah, remember, because there are our gods, so we have to remember what they say. The two states have, however, legalized recreational marijuana use are among the 18 states that allow it for medical use. It is a giant market in search of a brand. Now, why do these guys always think that we need a brand? I mean, quit. Oh, anyway. I'm a marketing USA, guy. USA. Dude, I am a, I'm a marketing guy. This drives me absolutely crazy. Everybody's like, oh, you got to have a brand. you got to have something. Just leave it alone. Just let it be. So yeah, Chevalier it, said the marijuana industry, we would be happy to get 40% of its worldwide. Holy cow, you're looking for the big boy. All right, Robert, you wanted to say something before I continue here? Yeah. I was gonna
1: say that just reminds me of Bill Hicks. Like Bill's going for the angry dollar right now. That's really what Bill's Bill's scheme <laughs> is. Right now they're they're going for the pot dollar right now. That's a smart <laughs> dollar. A lot of money in the in the pot dollar, you know. You might you know, oh oh, he's going for the conspiracy theory dollar now. Wow, man, you're getting a lot of money in that conspiracy theory dollar today.
2: <laughs> Dude, Bill Hicks was a genius. Comic genius. If you put if you could somehow you know, this is where I would actually like cloning. If you could clone him and George Carlin and make a comedian, oh my god, that would be just absolutely hysterical. Make a
0: president. Oh no. <laughs> Manchurian candidate. <laughs> oh, that would be
2: great. And if you hey, if you guys have never heard this, I highly recommend it. You should listen to um um George Carlin's idea uh, America, where he talks about the different sections. You'll have like a criminal section, and then you'll have like the baby section, and then like the um, the murder section, and then you just open them up and let them all integrate. It's just absolutely hysterical. So it continues in the article. A 2005 United Nations report estimated that global marijuana trade was valued at 142 billion dollars. Now, see if they legalize it everywhere, then that'll knock the that'll knock that in about a third. So it's still a pretty decent chunk. Of 60 billion. No, a little bit less than that, about 50. So, Washington State and Colorado became the first two states to legalize recreational marijuana, and then voters approved legalization in November. Shavely laid out his plans among his vision for the future in which marijuana will be imported from Mexico, and on the Thursday night news conference in a sit down in Seattle. Joining him was former Mexican. Huh?
5: <laughs> the
1: future that's happening now. Anyway, sorry.
2: Yeah, all right. For the future, yeah, exactly. What, I mean, this is not a really great written, well-written article, but it, it could be part of it. Could be part of the delivery mechanism as well. So, could also be that. What difference does it make if Jamin here is sitting instead of Capu Gosman, who said um, to Fox, referring to the fact that he would rather see chivalry selling uh, marijuana legally than Mexican drug pen drug kingpin selling it illegally. The story that has begun to be written, this is a story that has begun to be written here. Shapely told Reuters and he hoped Fox would serve in I an advisory I think guy was role. high
9: when he wrote it.
2: You say what now? <laughs> this guy probably was, man. Shaverly told Reuters that he hoped Fox would serve in an advisory role in his in his uh enterprise. dubbed Jesus, can I please get some decent names? Diego per- Pelaker? Good God. Oh. After Shiva's hot producing, hemp producing great-grandmother. The sale of cannabis or marijuana remains illegal in much of the world, and other although countries, mainly in Europe and America, have decriminalized the possession of small quantities of it. Oh, really? Like, um, maybe five states, or excuse me, 15? A larger number of countries have decriminalized or legalized cannabis for medical use. And it just goes on because I, I don't want to read Cynthia Johnson's writing anymore. This is not very good. So... Anyway, you guys get the overall picture. I mean what do you guys think of this? Um, obviously we have the legalization of marijuana, which is a step in the right direction for total decriminalization of all drugs. You know, Not to get into a philosophical debate, but I think we all share the same sentiment that, number one, government is a racket and that um, it shouldn't be allowed to dictate what we can and can't put into our body, especially when it restricts you know nutrients and vitamins and stuff like that around the world… So, Robert, I'll go to you first. What do you make of this guy trying to make a brand out of, you know, uh, turning, you know, grapes into wine, if you will, or lemons into lemonade?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you. you I mean, you You asked what my thoughts were on it. Realizing, I told you my fear, and this guy is pretty much coming in and doing on a massive scale exactly what I would be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would rather see, and the legalization of marijuana, and then of course what follows the Im- immediately after they write a law is regulation. Mm-hmm. I would rather them. I would just like to see them uh, repeal the fact that it's illegal and replace it with nothing. That you know what I mean. It's a plant. It grows. That's what it does. We don't have laws regulating daisies. Don't have laws regulating uh, roses. You know what I'm saying? Why are we regulating it?
9: <clears throat> well, I mean, make, they clearly can make money off of it. <laughs> of course,
2: of course. It's like why did they? It's like why did they? Why did they regulate? You know, why did they regulate tobacco? Why do they tax tobacco? Because the greedy politicians and and the lobbyists and the special interest groups can make tons and tons of money off this. And believe well, you me, this. you know. know but one
9: thing I could say about it though is, it, it, since I've been buying it for at least almost fifteen years now. Mm-hmm. You know, gas and everything else, all all the stuff around us has gone up because of inflation, but that mm-hmm. bag not gone up. That's one amazing thing.
1: Well, hmm. I, I would say it's a five dollar difference in either direction is the most I've ever seen in the fifteen, twenty years that I have been associated with such
2: things. Okay, so in but that's if you look at it in a very stripped down categorical sense, that is the free market dictating the the price, not the regulators and the speculators and the brand marketeers dictating the price to the public. Would that be correct in saying that it's just basically a a a method of you know demand versus supply I, I, and what then-
9: I'm what I'm saying though is I, I think that the price, like if you go and get it from a from a dispensary, the price is the same as almost the street value that you're getting it for. So if if government wasn't involved and it wasn't this big ordeal and it was local guys that could start growing and selling it, mm-hmm. just like you'd go to a farmers market, you'd notice the price would go. Man, down Man, that on would be one farmers market. I tell you what, that so, farmers so market the would the user would be the beneficiary of not having the
2: regulation. That yeah, i market I, would sell so many fruits, vegetables. You guys <laughs> would be. I mean, they would come that would be the with like a truck and be like, and be like, "All right, here's the farmers market." Oh. You have to start out no, here by the here. marijuana plant. Oh, okay. And by the time you get done, you would get back to your car and be like, oh, my God, I got all this fruit. How did I buy this?
9: You're going to have juices. You're going to have munchy food. You're going to have the oh.
1: first 24-7 farmer's market is what you're going to end up with. <laughs>
2: Why are you – and then you'll have that one guy. You'll have that one guy trying to pull the door instead of push it, and he'll be like the guy banging on the door you know, at, um, in the mall. Why are you
1: closed? Why are you closed? <laughs> but I will um, say this. I, I like the fact that the conversation – I may not like what they're doing legally in these two states. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but I but like the conversation talking. that it's creating across the country, and the fact that we can even carry this conversation on the internet, where people are listening and not and not have to be worried about saying, "Well, I hear through a friend of a friend that the price is." We can say, "Oh yeah, we yeah, we do that, whatever." You know, it's, well, it's I don't a know stigma. though. The
9: way they hauled Adam away, uh, we might be concerned anymore. <laughs> Oh, well, but see, yeah. here's
2: the here's the thing. I mean, they've already got all your digital communications anyway. It's not like they are telling them something that they haven't already read, seen, know about you in in the first place. So you know, it's not being secret, secret anymore. Well,
1: but yeah. I think that well,
2: what I, well, I think that I, what you're seeing with I think that what you're seeing with pot in general, and not to get on a big you know pot tirade, but I mean it's it, it's a pretty hot topic because you have you have people that you have the status. And I'm going to plug your video. You guys need to go check out the Journalistic Revolutions video, um, The Status. What's it, what's the actual title of it, Robert?
1: Status Anonymous Step 1 Acceptance.
2: Okay, so basically it's trying to convey to you that everybody has status tendencies. Everybody has this tendency to be, well, I need to have somebody. Because here was my first status kind of subconscious reaction. Is that well we do need some kind of regulation because, you know, I don't want Monsanto out there, you know, making me pot that's gonna make me sterile or doing something like that. But at the end of the day, do we really do we really need <coughs> a whole bunch of regulation or do we do we have just a a a large I mean this it gets into a really slippery slope because how do you how do you understand who's cultivating it and how and what kind of products they're putting on it? Because if you have people stressed out about GMOs and what they're putting into their body anyway, especially people that are going through cancer and stuff like that in chemo, where marijuana has shown to have an incredible amount of of um of just you know, results as far as getting people to, to eat and, and, and develop an appetite when they're going through chemotherapy. You know, how do we how do we ensure that they're getting good quality product and not some bootleg version that you know joe bob sprayed with roundup on accident
1: well i think that the system already uh the system that's in place for for that uh for the cultivation and the sales and distribution of, of marijuana uh it, it it's already self-regulatory and that's why i said i'd rather just see them abolish it being uh it being Illegal and not put anything else in place because I know who has the better stuff. I, <laughs> you know what I mean. I know mm-hmm. where it's happening. And then what you do when you just abolish the law is you just make it okay for the cultivators to come out and go. That's my product. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that you would be really changing in the system is making it okay for them to come out of the closet, if you will.
2: But so then you plus, kind of slide with, with, with you kind of even with, with the. Now go ahead, Andrew. I mean, Even with the
9: regulation, look at look at um with our food all the time. There's stuff that that passes, and somebody gets sick, somebody dies, and That's look true. how much regulations on that. I think That's the true. free market, if you if you really understand the free market, it's going to determine if you want to sell your product and you want return business, you're going to have to put out a good product.
2: Okay, right? guys, we got about we got about two minutes to wrap it up. So I I, I appreciate both of you on this. So. I mean at the end of the day, do we believe – at the end of the day, what do you guys think the timeline is for decriminalization of marijuana, total decriminalization? Not legalization. I hate that word. I'm talking about decriminalization. What do you guys think? Robert, what's your take?
1: Uh, Real quick, I think that we could see it within the next five years in the current pace that we
2: have. Okay, Andrew? I would agree with that okay i am I'm, I'm kind of right there with you, just depending it, it can go a couple of years either way, depending on how and how hard you know people push. but I think the most important thing is that if you look into stuff like this, and I know that there's a big stigma in the liberty movement that we're all a bunch of potheads, and that's not it here is the big here is the big hundred billion dollar enchilada of the liberty people people in the liberty movement understand that Marijuana, and they've done the research, marijuana was made criminal in a very unjust way. And it has remained criminal because of the stigma that DuPont and all these other large corporations that make cotton, that don't want to, they don't want to you know, deal with industrial hemp. And I guarantee you the corn subsidy people don't want to deal with industrial hemp either because it makes an incredible biofuel. So that's why it was exciting to me to see them talk about industrial hemp, because that's really going to open up an entirely new world for, you know, not just from a from a mental perspective of of people looking at it and saying, oh my God, I thought this was really evil, and the system sold me on this was really evil, but it was actually the system that made it illegal and then told me all through my life that it was evil. So I think that this is kind of like the straw that might break the system's back in the fact that if people really understand <clears throat> why it was made criminal in the first place, then they'll start to look at other things and kind of laugh at them too. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Robert, quickly plug your stuff really quick. Andrew, thanks for coming on board, man. It's first time I've had you on the show in a while. always enjoy the insight, so I'm going to let you go. Thanks for coming on board, man. See you guys. See you, man. Alright, so Robert, plug your stuff really quick and then I'm going to debut my um interview with Adam Kokesh from yesterday. It was pretty funny, pretty powerful. But um you got a, you got a minute, man. What's your what where can people find you and, and Matthew and the and the work that you're doing?
1: Yep, you can always check us out at journalisticrevolution.com and look us up on YouTube by the same name, also on Facebook and um yeah, and Liberty Movement Radio, of course.
2: Absolutely. So thanks for coming on, man, and um Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my interview with Adam Kokesh right out of jail. So take care, everyone. Uh, sorry about the confusion, man. Everybody, ladies and gentlemen, um, without further delay, Adam Kokesh from the Adam vs. the Man podcast. Adam, thanks for coming on board, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, um, like I, we were just chatting before offline that uh, I was watching your interview on Alex Jones, and I think that was a very good thing that you tried to get him to – to see what, what you're really trying to accomplish with the march. And, um, you know, before we get into everything with the march and stuff, I just wanted to uh, to do a reset for everybody. So let's. I want to hear it from your perspective about what happened on that day. You know, I, I was talking to um, – I'm friends with Daryl, as you know, we, and I've had him on the show. We were kind of talking about how the setup of the event was, and it was a little bit – you know precarious seeing all the the fencing and everything around, and you guys even had a discussion about you know is this something that we should even do so so start from the beginning and talk about all the way through the actual event itself about you getting you know accosted by the guys in costumes you know what did um what transpired on that day
6: well, I guess it has to start with the history of the event that this was smokedown prohibition five we had mm-hmm. done this four times before with no intervention and, and no violent assaults whatsoever. And it was kind of out of the blue, but they had put up fences around the area, around the, the free speech zone, mm-hmm. in front of Independence Hall. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty clear setup. They, when when we decided it was time to light up at 420... Mm-hmm. They rushed into the crowd after someone else that had already lit up, and I didn't have anything on me. I think this is where they they went wrong. And one of the ways they assumed that I would have weed on me, and I I, I didn't that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much by by coincidence as anything, and I had <coughs> not had my wallet on me deliberately. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm really glad I was ready in this case mm-hmm. because what they did is they charged through the crowd. Uh, cha- charged past me as, as even the the affidavit said, pushed past me mm-hmm. to get to someone who had lit up, mm-hmm. and uh, in the course of doing that, deliberately brushed past me, mm-hmm. grabbed me under my arm, and you know I put my hands up and and, and try to step away, but was being pulled in to to this uh, takedown. Right. And then one of the officers decided that because his hand got stuck in my armpit as he grabbed mm-hmm. me, that I was assaulting him. And he tried to tackle me. And and as you can see from the video that we just released, uh, exclusive Adam Kokesh arrest footage, uh, damning footage uh, that shows how I was set up by the feds. You can see from all the different camera angles uh, how ridiculous the the assault charge uh, against me was. Mm -hmm. But that's what makes it a little worrisome when you step back and consider this that, you know that, that I was set up, and they tried to frame me. I mean, it was there's there's no other way around it because right. I ended up being charged with a felony, assaulting, resisting, and impeding a, a federal officer.
2: Now, one of the things that Daryl and I kicked back and forth around, and this is just me being a you know a conspiracy theorist, you know, not trusting known liars, but um, sure. we were we were looking at it as a as a methodology or a way that if they were going to set you up and charge you with a felony, that it was a way to to keep you. You know, obviously if you're a convicted felon you can't do an open carry march on um across the Washington Bridge or the, the um I can't remember what the name
5: memorial, of the memorial yeah. Thank
2: you, thank you. But we th- we saw that as a way to kind of, you know, stonewall you from not leading the march and then as we we got into the dialogue, it, it, it wasn't so much about you know, about you leading the march as it about the everybody getting together and and now the march has morphed into this thing that, you know, when I first read the the statement, and I would actually like for you to read the statement so we can hear it again, because it, it does sound a lot better when, when you say it with your enunciation as opposed to if you just read it off the screen, but when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this sounds kind of crazy. Is he calling for an arm march on every on every capital? But then after reading it a couple of times, I was like, no, he's calling for the real restoration and talking about the defunding by getting the governors to all come together in a governor's council and say, hey, we need to start defunding this fraudulent system. So you got the floor, man. When a government has repeatedly
6: and deliberately failed to follow its own laws, violated the fundamental human rights of its citizens, threatened the sanctity of a free press, created institutions intended to eliminate privacy of communication, waged war at the behest of special interests that threatens the public safety, killed hundreds of children with drone strikes, imprisoned and destroyed the lives of countless individuals for victimless crimes, stifled economic opportunity to maintain the dominance of the financial elite, stolen from the people through an absurd system of taxation and inflation, sold future generations into debt slavery, and abused its power to suppress political opposition, it is unfit to exist, and it becomes the duty of the people to alter or abolish that government by whatever means necessary to secure liberty and ensure peace. A new American revolution is long overdue. This revolution has been brewing in the hearts and minds of the people for many years, but this Independence Day shall take a new form as the American Revolutionary Army will march on each state capital to demand that the governors of these 50 states immediately initiate the process of an orderly disillusion of the federal government through secession and reclamation of federally held property. Should one whole year pass from this July 4th while the crimes of this government are allowed to continue, we may have passed the point at which nonviolent revolution becomes impossible. The time to sit idly by his past, to remain neutral, is to be complicit. Just doing your job is not an excuse, and the line in the sand has been drawn between we, the people, and the criminals in Washington, D.C. While some timid souls will say that it is too early, that we can solve this problem through democratic means provided by government, that current levels of taxation are reasonable for the services provided, and that the crimes of this government are merely a tolerable nuisance, it may already be too late. While there is risk in drastic action, the greater danger lies in allowing this government to continue unchallenged. So if you are content with the status quo, stay home, get fat, Watch the fireworks from a safe distance and allow this Independence Day to pass like any other. But if you see as we see and feel as we feel, we will see you on the front lines of freedom on July Fourth, two thousand thirteen. For this, the
2: final American Revolution. See, it sounds so much better when you say it. My internal voice sounds like a little child. It does. (laughs) It's really funny. But um, yeah, how? Now, you were in when when you when you wrote that? Were you in solitary? Is that what they put you in? No, no. Well, we were.
6: We were in the special housing unit, but fortunately they put uh, myself and Mr. Poe together. I, I mm-hmm. suppose they wanted to listen in on our conversations, but
2: mm-hmm. we, we, were, uh, we were aware of that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, now, when you guys wrote that, how long did that take you to write? Is that something you just did, like compiled over a couple of days, or is it just an epiphany to you to just say, I have got to get all this down on paper? Because that's what kind of happens to me sometimes is you'll get in, and I'm sure you experience this as well, being in radio and, and, and doing writing and stuff, is that you get into this kind of a zone, and then it just flows. Is that what happened, or was it kind of a couple of writes, rewrites in order to get the, the concise thought out there? Well, it was it was an epiphany, that hit me when I realized that the government had already
6: escalated their tactics by arresting me, by by framing me, and that it, it made me very uncomfortable mm-hmm. doing something as as significant as the open carry march on Washington. Mm-hmm. If they were willing to initiate force against someone simply for organizing this, and I thought an appropriate way for us to escalate our tactics in. And, uh, you know, in, in parallel would be to make this open source and, and distributed across all 50 state capitals where people can engage in whatever civil disobedience, you know, they they, they feel is appropriate. But I, I want to point out that what we're really doing here is saying that, that let, let's do things the easy way. Let's right. do things the peaceful way, because if we don't do this – you know what we're facing with the inevitable collapse of the United States federal government is going to be far worse mm-hmm. if, if if we don't come out now and start changing the conversation to say, "Look, we're better off without the federal government than we are with it,"
5: mm-hmm. then
6: what we're going to find is 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 the end of america that that comes from delusion and having your your head buried in the sand. But if enough people wake up in time, then then we don't have to face that we don't have to face that collapse. But, you know, in a way, I feel kind of like a, a sleazebag politician here. And if you know the old saying, you know, when, when you see a, a riot, jump in front of it and call it a parade. And in a way, what I'm talking about is really not that revolutionary. Right. It is already happening. Mm-hmm. It is just a matter of do we do it deliberately and acknowledge the, the situation that we're in, mm-hmm. or do we continue to, to, to be in denial about the state of America and, and the federal government?
2: And I think that a lot of it has to do with, and I'm sure that you've seen this before. Have you seen Have you seen the videos of the, the terrorist attack over in the UK? I'm sure you've seen those where the guy was chopping people up with the um, hatchet and the machete and stuff. Yeah. Okay, so here's what concerns me, and this is just me thinking out loud. What concerns me is that you have a general population all around the world that has been conditioned through, and you touched on this earlier, but I really want to get into this because this is what fascinates me. You have a general population that is raised about the time you and I are. I'm 35. You're about 31. You're 31, right? 31. Yeah, they said you were 41 in the police report. They're just trying to make you look old. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, but what happened was you start to see these people, and they obviously witness somebody get attacked and have, and just get beheaded right in the middle of the street, and nobody does anything. So what concerns me is that yes, we have a bunch of, we have a bunch of internet activists, and this is what I try to to preach to my audience a lot. Don't be an internet activist and then just think that your job is done. You have to actually physically yes. show up. You have to physically be there. Show physical presence. And what scares me is that we have a public that is that is engaged in a virtual sense, but when you look at it in a in a true physical sense, they become they become scared. Now, this coming from a country that that had a bunch of founding fathers that were taking on the largest, most diabolical empire that has ever existed, and they ended up winning. What would those founding fathers look at our public now and say? I mean, do they look at us and think that we're a bunch of chicken, you know what? Or do they look at us and say, you guys just need the right kick in the butt, and and this might be the right kick in the rear? Well, I think that's what's so exciting about uh, taking a bold stand like
6: this is you really expose all the false prophets of freedom who are going out there saying yeah, the founders are great, they're awesome they wouldn't mm-hmm. put up with this stuff, they would fight back they they raised arms and they—and then they go, oh my god, Adam Kokesh wants to, to dissolve the federal government Um, uh, no, we can't do that, that's scary they're going to come after us, and it's
2: like, hey, they already have yeah, they already spy on you, dude I mean, that's what I tell people, I'm like, listen you know, they've been spying on you for 10 years, and and everybody asks me, they're like, aren't you afraid of putting this stuff on Facebook? I'm like, dude, they know who we are. They're not dumb. I'm like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that if you band together, if you band together, I mean, the march on Monsanto here in Atlanta, got about 1,500 people, and the paper reported it to 700, as usual, they're going to underestimate something that's going to be of, you know, vital significance. But if you guys will march for Monsanto, a stupid corporation, why won't you march on a a government flying a flag in your name, droning people, killing people, and now talking about invading a nation that has not done anything to anybody? At what point – and what's really exciting to me is that, Adam, I think that everybody under the age of 40 – and especially the younger generation you touched on this earlier I talk to a bunch of people when I'm out at restaurants and stuff like that especially teenagers almost all of them proclaim themselves as libertarians and it's exciting for me to see that because they have broken through that that the bipartisan wall if you will yes. of seeing if, how fraudulent both of these systems are and it's like oh, well, Barack Obama was funded by Wall Street, and like, oh, Mitt Romney's financial advisor was the, the head of the World Bank. I mean, come on. At, at the end of the day, we need to do something that's going to galvanize the public, and I think that this is going to do it. Now, we just have to get the, the traction out there and, and the people. The, the big thing is the people, and I think that that's what you're trying to do with this. Now, how are you guys organizing this march? I mean, do you yeah. have people in each state, or how is it, how is it being organized?
6: Yeah, we have a national coordinator so that people can step up and ensure that efforts aren't being duplicated and there's kind of an official point person, at least, as a coordinator, a facilitator for each state. And for people that that want to get involved that way, I really encourage it. There there are also Facebook events for each state event separately as well as several territories. So um, the uh, coordinator is Jeffrey Phillips, and you can get him at Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, at com. Uh, to to get involved locally. And this is a a really great opportunity to start reaching out with some of these important ideas about what do we actually do to get out of the situation. Mm. And for everybody that attacked the idea of an open carry march, not a single one of them said, oh, the government's a good idea. You really shouldn't challenge the government at all. Like the overthrow of the government, that's a bad idea. We love the federal government. You know, nobody Mm -hmm. said that. Well, now it's time to actually step up because I'm asking for the individual risk to be a lot less. but. People were doing this anyways. People were already stepping up and Mm -hmm. were holding events in solidarity with what we had planned for D.C. Mm -hmm. So I hope that people take this as an opportunity not just to to get to that critical mass and and to galvanize the public. As you say, I I think we're a ways off from that, Jake. Mm -hmm. But if nothing else, I, I really do believe that this Independence Day, to start the final American Revolution in this form with an eye towards the dissolution of the federal government, will begin with a changing of the conversation. And just by asking that question, it's not do you want America to end, it's how do you want America to end. Do you want it to end with your head in the sand and with a danger and violent collapse of a government going through its death throes, Or do you want an orderly, peaceful disillusion and an assertion of your rights as an individual to happen through an orderly process? And I I think this is going to really radically alter the conversation because so many people have given up on this idea that we're going to fight back government by fighting one issue at a time. Or that we're going to battle for Mm -hmm. every inch while the government takes a mile behind our backs. Mm -hmm. And, And as you pointed out, the younger generation really gets this when, when they see, holy crap, I just turned 18 and my share of the federal debt is over $50,000. You've got to be kidding me. Ooh. And they face all of these problems of, of, of how much of, of their income goes towards government when they had no say in it whatsoever. And, and it is, in a sense, of very much a youth-oriented revolt, as the youth say, we are not going to pay for the mistakes of our parents. We are going to fix them.
2: Now was it Thomas Jefferson that said that that each that each generation should be responsible for its own debt? I can't remember who said that. Well, he
6: also said that, that we should have a revolution with every generation.
2: Absolutely, and and whether it's whether it's peaceful, violent, what have you, I think that you like what you're trying to do here is you're not trying to promote violence. And that's what I tried to explain to people where they said that, hey, this armed march on Washington is not a good idea. And I said, and I said the, the fact, fact that you can, you can say, say that to me already, already makes, makes me, believe me believe that it is, that it is a great, great idea. idea. An essential idea. Right. You're, you're terrified of your government. And when the when the government fears the people, there is liberty. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. So like you said, it's either – it's either you choose the route of the 7,000 armored vehicles and the two billion bullets for civil unrest, or you choose this route and just go and, and show a civil disobedience, show your complete disdain for the federal government and the way that they're behaving, and waving our flag all over the world as they as they bomb innocent people and, and attack you know nations that haven't attacked anybody. So, what do you? Now there's a, here's a philosophical question for you, because I heard you and Alex talking about this, and I always had this question too. How do we get from, is there a way that we, we transition from a, a, a restoration, like he calls it the restoration of the republic, and I would see it as a, as a defunding of the federal government, but keeping it in place for, like you said civil def- like defense and stuff like that that's one thing that i would i would say is okay so how do we transition even if we did get to this point where everybody knows that the government's criminal and we're going to at least defund it do we make the leap to true volunteerism or do we have a reinstitution of the of the federal government and then slowly wean it towards volunteerism is it just the big leap, or do we or do we go in in steps what do you what do you see happening or what do you think of the best method is
6: I think it's really both and it's it, it happens concurrently and and which happens first is in a way irrelevant because it's already happening that the people are waking up mm-hmm. and if if you see it as as part of a, a larger continuum it, it helps put it in perspective, but we will recognize how and when certain mechanisms of governance have reached a sort of uh, you know public critical mass of, of of understanding as to their their detrimental effects
5: mm-hmm.
6: and and that being the case more people will be waking up as a result so i, I think you're going to have kind of a cascading effect mm-hmm. as, as more people embrace voluntarism but it, it's going to take, uh, you know, it, it's going to happen along with the mechanisms of government being dissolved. So there's, there's, there, I, I, they go, it, it, they're not separate or independent processes as much as uh, parallel processes.
2: Okay, great. Because, the way that I was kind of understanding it is that it was going to be a a great leap forward, no pun intended, right there, a great leap forward as opposed to um, as opposed to a a kind of a a planned simultaneous tactical, you know, defunding of the federal government, rise in liberty, and then moving towards volunteerism. And is that what you're kind of pushing with with this um, at least ideology that that we're trying to get across to people?
6: Right. And, and even if all of a sudden everybody woke up and said, oh, we're voluntarists now, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to impose our will on anybody else by force ever. We still find ourselves in the world of, of the daily routines of the status paradigm mm-hmm. and where so many people are dependent for their very livelihoods sure. on specific m- mechanisms of that. And, and I don't want to pull the rug out from underneath anybody. Mm-hmm. So really, we have to to... to do this in an an orderly, peaceful way, or it's going to be a lot more painful. And then you have vacuums. And the way to avoid the vacuums is to, as you're doing this, and this is not like we have any choice, this is Mm -hmm. how it's happening, is to ensure that people are asserting their self-ownership and that that is what fills the power vacuum, is people leading their own lives and saying, I am going to be in charge of myself now. I don't need to be a slave. I don't need to be a part of a herd Mm -hmm. or a member of the collective and that's what fills the power vacuum. If you just have the mechanisms come apart, then, you know, oftentimes you 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 will have some backlash.
2: Oh yeah, or you end up like Egypt and you have an overthrow of that government and then you have the Muslim Brotherhood in here and now they're twice twice as worse off as they were right. before we went in there. So I understand what you're saying about the power democracy. Go ahead. Go ahead. That was
6: the problem with calling for democracy. They wanted democracy and they got exactly what they asked
2: for. Yeah, you got you got mob rule. Congratulations. Great work, guys. But um it's one of those things that I think that this July fourth should be and and everybody should mark it on your calendar. If you're an activist, you've got no excuse to not go and participate in this, even to just show face because what this is going to show is like Adam and I were alluding to before you're going to have those people that are that are scared and and rightfully so 2 billion bullets and a lot of armored vehicles is kind of scary especially after you saw the kind of crap that they pulled up in Boston you know mm-hmm. that's kind of scary stuff but at the end of the day, I think that you said this before, the scary thing is, is what we do, what happens if we don't stand up? If we don't start now with peaceful resistance and be visible? And that's the whole thing. The reason that Adam wasn't taken away by the feds and thrown in some dungeon somewhere and shipped off to Gitmo is because he's visible and you had people there with cameras and just being yep. a presence. And that's where we need to take. And I know that you're friends with Luke Radowski. What do you think of him and what he did to Henry Kissinger that just came out today? Did you see that? Or a couple of days ago? Did you see that? No, it's
6: funny. I haven't seen it, but I just was interviewed by Luke who came to, to visit me here at the studio mm-hmm. and uh, told me about it. So, yeah, I,
2: I understand that uh, he, he's still doing great work. Man, he is. It's just absolutely amazing. But that's the kind of stuff we need is we need citizen journalists everywhere and people like Adam that are going to be out on the front lines and I'll be out on the front lines here in Atlanta. I know that, um, I have some questions here in the chat room, um, about, um, what do people do if, if there's not a, um, is there anything going on in Florida? Is there anything going on here? But I think you guys can just direct those and we'll give the name out at the end to Jeffrey Phillips at the end and he'll kind of get you guys pointed in the right direction. But finishing up, what was the um, – now, you said that when you got processed and stuff like that, did you refuse processing at the beginning of the arrest? And and talk about all the different civil liberties violations, because I know that you know the law really well. And um, how many different violations did you see out of your just circumstance that you went through? Oh, man, I'm, I still haven't even started <laughs> the process of hiring a lawyer to do the
6: counting for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty obscene, and not just in the in the detention process. And I did refuse to cooperate in a number of different ways. But I think next time I'm going to actually step it up. And I think this should be a uh, practice for all political activists. If you're arrested, make it as hard as possible, and go limp and mute,
2: mm-hmm. and just as, make it as make as it as as expensive for them as possible, and just non compliance the whole way through. So give people some examples because you've you've been. You've been arrested and detained a couple of times, so give people some examples of what they can do to make it a a little bit more um, challenging for the guys in costumes. Well, I mean, just not giving
6: your name or your birth date or any information, not having ID on you if you have ID on you, they can uh, detain you and then cite you or even put you out on bail based on that information mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're, you're pretty well legally screwed at that point but if you if you remain silent, exercise your right and you don't have any identifying information on you, it puts them in a much more difficult situation now you take a certain risk with this of course, and you really do have to acknowledge that you're playing hardball and that's that's what i did and, and uh, you know i really got to thank everybody on the outside again who made it possible to execute that strategy with all the leverage behind it because if it wasn't that much more difficult for them to keep me in prison then my you know relatively small stuff on the inside would have been uh you know would have would have just been ignored and they would have kept me in the hole but Um, I I refused to to, uh, identify myself when, uh, you know, until they fingerprinted me, which they would have been able to do by force anyways. Mm -hmm. And I gave only identifying information. I refused to answer any of their questions. But when it came down to it, after the hearing Thursday, when uh, they were still charging me with a felony, uh, even though we'd exposed in court their testimony to be absurd, Mm -hmm. uh, they were trying to – get me out on bail with uh, absurd conditions that I wouldn't be able to arm my, to be armed to be in a house with firearms Same. or to be able to travel without permission.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: I said screw that I'd rather stand and fight mm-hmm. than than let you make me uh you know a quasi prisoner for right. you know an indefinite amount of time. And because I refused to take a PPD shot, a, a tuberculosis test, I said it's against my religion to, have, to to allow government agents to put needles in my body, <laughs> and uh, I refused to take a DNA test, and I said it's okay, my DNA is just fine, it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be tested. They uh, they threatened to to strap me to my bunk and and perform those tests on me, and I, I played the God card on on one of these guys who was a Catholic and was mm-hmm. like, oh, so you're going to do this because politicians put words on paper i hope that god forgives you and I <laughs> him. but when 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 i refused to take bail i was basically volunteering for up to 100 days in solitary confinement mm-hmm. they had me with na po because we had been arrested together and we were both being held away from the general population and because i had refused to take the ppd shot they weren't allowed to house me with any other inmates. And, and for my own safety, I thought I was better off in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I was okay. I was resigned, you know, up to 30 days for an indictment, up to 70 days for a speedy trial. Mm-hmm. And I was fine. All right, you know, I'm, I'll do it. I'll sit here. I'll, I'll, I'll write my book. I'll, I'll write letters. I'll be fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really not that bad. I was in combat. You know, it's, you're not going to scare me with this. And, 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 and the, the strategy worked better. Than I could have possibly imagined, because you know the, the very next day I, w- I was just like in solitary for another twelve, sixteen hours, and they just banged on the hatch. And uh, hey, you're leaving, and I was at the back of my head going, "Wait a second, this is this is the part where I go to a CIA facility." <laughs> but no, they just uh, you know showed me the door and unceremoniously put me, you know put, dumped me in the rain uh, in, uh, on a on the Philly sidewalk there. And as a, as a, as I was out, I had actually gone through almost all the out processing. Mm. And the last thing is they give you your personal effect, and it was the officer that was testifying against me mm. who had to do it as the Park Service representative. And he put all my stuff on, uh, you know, on the table in front of me. And then he said, "Here, you're going to sign this form for this, and then you're going to sign these two citations." And I just laughed at him, and I said, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to sign those. Really, what are you going to do? Lock me back up? I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay, you know, pay a fine." or accept your citation for standing next to someone smoking pot because you wanted to frame me? Mm -hmm. Give me a break. So I I refuse to sign them. They're null and void. I'm probably going to burn them in front of the White House on June 8th, and it's important to point out we have another event coming up, Smoke Down Prohibition Joint Summit with President Chum just to underscore the hypocrisy of this government. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be engaging in civil disobedience in, in front of the White House on Saturday, June 8th at 420. We're asking people to gather at 3.30. And uh, there's information about that and, and more at adamversustheman.com slash calendar. But, uh, you know, that was it. We we just, uh, you know, I played hardball and I won. And N.A. And Poe, we found out just today because his strategy, and he was able to execute his strategy perfectly well, too, but his was, I'm going to get out of here. With whatever conditions, and I'm going to bend over and, and you know get bailed, so I, I don't have to be in prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got bailed, but you know he's got to deal with all the conditions of that now and go through piss tests, and he's not allowed to smoke pot and mm-hmm. all sorts of other stuff. So. Uh, he he got a plea bargain uh, offer today and he rejected it. And I want to say uh, you know shout out to him for for standing up. But he also threatened a hunger strike when we were in there, which was probably why I got my phone call. And I'm I'm just glad that it wasn't necessary for him to endure too much pain. But yeah, we we stood our ground and the government blinked.
2: Because now, now how long did it so take before clumsy. you got your phone call? Because that's the one thing that really really aggravated me. Not to say that it wasn't aggravating enough to watch. You know, somebody that I've associated with and somebody that I've you know, done a little bit of work for get get drug off on just absolutely nothing. And when people ask me, they're like, hey, what happened to Adam? What did he get arrested for? I'm like, he got arrested for standing next to somebody smoking pot. He got arrested for having a microphone in his hand. But the thing that really bothered me was that they wouldn't even give you a phone call. I'm sitting there. I'm blowing up Daryl's phone. He's calling yeah. everybody. And, and we're like, has anybody heard from Adam? And calling your parents and they haven't heard from you. It was really a creepy time for us on the outside. But for you on the inside, what, what was it like just saying, hey, do I get my phone call? And they're like, uh, yeah, just sit there and hold tight. Well, I mean, at, at some point, you know,
6: you, you start to worry that maybe there's something really nefarious behind this. And, and I do want to kind of downplay the Mm -hmm. the significance of what happened and i got a good chance to talk with uh, luke radowski about this but Mm -hmm. you know what was it behind what happened i mean we know what physically happened we know what legally happened we know the we know the logistics of what transpired but you know we we know there were other federal agencies involved from the testimony of donald reed and we know that they were targeting me directly you know for what reason exactly you know i don't know was there was there a command from on high? Probably not. You know, mm-hmm. it was probably just all of these various factors conspiring, and a couple of cops got out of control, and 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 I ended up being the victim here. Sure. You know, I was set up, I was framed, but you know, I I don't believe. I mean, if, if this is if this is the best they've got, I mean, I'm kind of insulted. Like, I must not be that important <laughs> if these are the schmuck idiots they send after me, because I know they've got way more capable people on payroll that could handle something like this. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think it was something you know as as huge and nefarious as that, but it you know it it was a very disturbing uh, arrest in and of itself because it was a a pretty clear cut case of of political prosecution. Sure,
2: sure. And then at the end of the day, you looked at it and were just like, okay, so if this is if this is all you guys got, this isn't too much. But you know, looking back at the event. Looking back at the event, and this, you know, you guys are obviously going to hold the next event outside, um, would you do anything differently about, would you have canceled the event? I mean, obviously, uh, hindsight's 20, 20 but is this something that you believe just kind of solidified for everybody that's in the Liberty Movement about just how out of control these guys in costumes can be sometimes just to go in there? And the one thing, another thing that really kind of got me upset was the fact that, there didn't need to be any violence involved in any of these arrests, and you saw people getting thrown to the ground. They tried to throw you to the ground, and my friend and I laughed that the cop wasn't strong enough to throw you to the ground, so yeah. so we thought that that was funny. Like, look at the cop trying to manhandle Adam, and he like, can't even get his arms behind his back. This is so funny. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what do you what do you make of all this? Do you think that going back in, in hindsight that this was a, a positive thing for the liberty movement, kind of exposing how how government and people in costumes can really get out of control? I hope so, but, you know, I haven't really seen a lot of that. I think, uh, a lot of people are still scared and
6: to, to, to certain degrees, or to a certain degree, rightly so. But mm-hmm. people have to get over it when they realize that being frightened doesn't accomplish anything mm-hmm. and that staying frightened and being
2: frozen in inaction
6: is where the greatest danger is.
2: Oh absolutely, So I know we gotta wrap it up'cause I only I only had you for a half an hour, so i I want you to plug everything that you can plug in the next couple of seconds so we can all get um so we can all get on the same page and I think that one of the things that's going to really come out of this July fourth thing is that you're gonna see. How individuals are going to come together, whether we all believe in the same thing or not. Whether you're a libertarian, whether you're an anarcho capitalist, whether you're a conservative, it doesn't really matter. What, what you saw was absolute tyranny out in the open for people that were just trying to do something um, civil, you know, in civil disobedience, which, you know, I, I think that eventually, hey, maybe we should mail. The uh, the definition of civil disobedience to the uh, to the captain of the Washington D C police and then she can see what that really is instead of making her oh, statement <laughs> making her statement saying that if you walk over here even though the Supreme Court which you know rules on the Constitution said that it's okay even if you do that you're still you can do civil disobedience as long as you don't break the law it's like um all right but uh, let's get all your stuff here and then we can uh, we can wrap it up and get you on your way because I know you got a ton of stuff on your plate, man.
6: Oh, yeah. No, I really appreciate it. But things are coming together here, and we're just so excited to see that there are people all over the country stepping up. I believe we have most states already covered with someone who's who's decided to take point. But we need more volunteers. We need to make sure that people are coordinating their efforts. So if people want to email Jeffrey, it's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y at com. For information about all the great events we've got coming up, it's adamversusthemancom slash calendar. And for people that want to support the show and, and what we got going on, uh, to donate to the Legal Attack Fund, because we will be <laughs> pursuing uh, whatever civil suits are, are, are available to us to, to hopefully beat back against this particular practice of targeting activists, uh, it's adamversusthemancom slash invest. And if you want to get a hold of me directly, Adam at AdamversustheMan dot com.
2: Awesome, and everybody, I think that uh, another good idea would be for us to to call your local your local um, papers, your local news coverage, your local media, and explain to them what's going to happen on July Fourth if you're going to be out there, because these media blackouts over things like Monsanto and what's going to happen on July Fourth, that is just going to expose even further how corporations actually own our media. And once again, the news is not there to inform you. It is there to dictate to you what they want you to hear. And Adam fights with us all the time, and and I appreciate him for coming on and, and sharing the message and sharing your story, man. And I'm just so glad to see you out and about and uh living to living to fight the other day but um one thing I had to ask you what um what happened to the big goatee man? I, I absolutely <laughs> missed that. Because that was the first thing that got me turned on to you. I'm like, here's a guy in a wife beater, and a shaved head and a goatee and he's just telling it like it is this guy's money. What uh, happened to the goatee? Was it was it a um was it a tactical um image change for you? I guess you could say that. But um you know it was also starting to gather food particles
6: on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> And uh, was 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 a bit more trouble than it's worth. But uh, I I do plan on retiring someday and and really seeing what I look like naturally. But until then,
2: I, I will maintain a, a relatively neat and orderly appearance. Well, I have the I have the I'm going to call it the libertarian beard too, because I think that everybody that I run into that's a libertarian <laughs> has this little you know, five-day to ten-day-old beard that they rock everywhere. So. Oh, yeah.
6: The, we, we, the best part of the libertarian freedom movement is that we have better facial hair than any political movement in America today.
2: Actually, I think we have the only facial hair because everybody else is, you've got to look sharp and you've got to look clean and you've got to be clean cut and be able to be dictative. But anyway, all kidding aside, man, thank you for all the work that you do. Thanks for coming on the show. And, uh, hey, man, keep fighting for liberty out there. We're fighting here with you. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, take care, Adam. There he goes, everybody. Adam from the Adam versus the Man podcast. Sorry, I didn't get any of your questions. The guy that typed the question in about what he thinks about Rand Paul, he actually did an entire um, uh, dialogue on that. So you can go on his uh, he can go on his YouTube channel and um, and look it up because he did talk about how he does not uh, believe that Rand Paul shares the same sentiments as his father. His father sees himself as a pure volunteerist, Whereas Rand Paul believes that he can change things inside of the system. So thanks for joining me, everybody. Sorry for the um not being able to take any calls, but um, we did have him on a time crunch. And I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Remember, you can follow me on Facebook at We Are Not Cattle, you can go to the website we and you can also follow me on Twitter at We Are Not Cattle the number one. And if you live in the Georgia area. You should be able to find me on July 4th right outside the Capitol with my sign, being ready in support of the Adam versus the man protest on uh, July 4th in front of your local state municipality. And as he said, for more details, you can either go to the Adam vs. the man forward slash calendar, or you can email Jeffrey at J E F F R E Y at Adam vs the man.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Get a friend, get informed and get involved and let's change society. Take
5: care.